Hello, Dancewell listeners. This is Ellie Kushner, and in this episode, I'll be speaking to Kate Wilson and Miriam Rowan about some of the negative feelings dancers experience. Catherine, or Kate Wilson, is a licensed independent clinical social, social worker with expertise in the treatment of obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, and mood disorders. She is a core staff member at Boston Behavioral Medicine in Brookline, Mass, and specializes in seeing adolescents and young adults. Having worked at McLean Hospital's Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Institute, she has extensive training in cognitive behavior therapy and exposure response prevention therapy. She's a former professional ballet dancer, having trained at the School of American Ballet and was a member of the Corps de Ballet with the Pacific Northwest Ballet Company. Miriam Rowan is a licensed clinical psychologist in Massachusetts and New York, an instructor in psychology at Harvard Medical School and a research collaborator at Boston Children's Hospital's Female Athlete Program. She has a private practice in Cambridge, Mass, and she was a dancer with the San Francisco Ballet. There's a lot of information in this conversation, and I think it speaks for itself. So we're just gonna go ahead and dive right into episode 87, competition, jealousy, and rejection. Buckle your seatbelts. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological training. And today you are in for traction. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Miriam and Kate, thank you so much for joining us here on Dancewell Podcast again for your, your second episode. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. It's our pleasure to be here. Um, so today we're going to talk about negative feelings, negative emotions, because in my experience, dancers are not always invited to explore these things. Um, a lot of dance training, not all of it, of course, but a lot of dance training asks dancers to be very um, hardworking and positive and resilient and you know, quick to back bounce back into positivity. Um, and I think that we're not asked to explore our negative feelings until suddenly we're like Giselle on stage and then we're just supposed to pull them up out of nowhere. <laughs> um, but I, I think, um, yeah, not, not identifying and acknowledging and coping with those negative feelings um, is, is problematic in our field. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was thinking a little bit about just professionally, like in, in any profession, often there's this sort of forward facing expectation, right? Mm -hmm. um, performance and in particular with ballet, the, um, the, the performance aspect, um, being able to put on a show for others and to entertain others, um, it brings forth a culture where, um, at least in my uh, observational experience, leads to a culture where positivity is valued often over um, what may really truly be going on for the individual dancer. Mm -hmm. Almost like positivity and, over authenticity or something. Yes. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have um, you know, Kate and I were talking about this um, in thinking thinking about this podcast, and 
um, you know, in the psychology literature, um, current, very current, there's this concept called experiential avoidance, um, which is really um, the way in which individuals may push away negative emotional experiences in a particular moment. And um, in that way, self-invalidate their own emotional experience um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, one of which may be that the culture does not allow or welcome the um, approaching of emotional experience or expression of it. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Experiential avoidance. Um, that's interesting. And Kate, I, I feel like I interrupted you a moment ago. Oh, no, no. I was going to go from there. But yes, both experiential avoidance and then leading to self-invalidation, um, which can be really problematic, um, not just for dancers, but for anybody um, when one's feelings aren't acknowledged. Um, you know, they go unrecognized and not addressed. Um, and that really can perpetuate um, considerable feelings of anxiety and depression. Okay, so that's a perfect segue actually into this next question I had, which was like, what happens if we don't address and cope with our feelings? You mentioned depression and anxiety. What other negative outcomes can, can um, result from not acknowledging our feelings? Um, well, I can speak a little bit to this is, is that when we don't acknowledge our feelings, we're, we're not recognizing them, right? Which is a whole process. We're not identifying them, right? We're not labeling our emotional experience, right? So what happens is we can get really tied up in a ball, mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of a, a, a kind of emotional ball of yarn, um, where we actually then don't have any clarity about what to do in the situation to make it better, right? Yeah, and we got really lost. Yes, in that. yes. Mm -hmm. and as Miriam is saying, that emotions are our moral, are our compass. Um, without them, yeah, we are really not recognizing them, knowing not what to do with them, and being all balled up like that. Yeah, we, we've lost our way. Um, the alternative to that is that if a dancer is able to has the skill sets to recognize, identify, their emotions then they can work with them, right? And make plans around how to make an environment, a particular dance environment better, how to cope with certain stressors coming up. It reminds me a lot of what I understand about the physical body, which is where my, where my expertise lies more, you know, where if a dancer like doesn't acknowledge the pain that's coming from their hip and sort of works through it and fights past it, and then it becomes a really acute, severe situation because we haven't listened to those early signals, which are our body trying to direct us to make different choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say it's very similar. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, starting with that sort of grounding that it's really important to address these negative feelings. Um, I want to highlight three particular emotions that I think, you know, part of everyone's life but seem particularly um, present in a dance environment which are um, feeling competitive jealous and rejected and those are all sort of to me um, interrelated um, and so 
Could we start by talking about feelings of competition? I don't necessarily think of being competitive as an automatically negative feeling, right? Um, in the right context, being a bit competitive is probably evolutionarily advantageous and, and good, right? So, um, so this idea of feeling competitive, um, what I would say, and uh, Kate and I had talked a little bit about this before, is that the feeling of, of competitive is actually not a feeling as much as an experience um, that may have at times other feelings within it, right? Feelings of envy, jealousy, um, anger, um, maybe even feelings of excitement um, about what's to come if one wins or um, gets what one wants, right? Um, and all, and then it's it's within the con a context that is competitive, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and just to add to that, um, so additionally, sort of this this concept of competition. Um, is really embedded sort of in, in the environment that has specific features. Um, so, so for example, in the dance environment, um, specific features are that, you know, there are limited resources and high demand. In other words, that dancers often compete. Many, many dancers are competing for the same role. So um, therefore, you know, that makes it a competitive environment, which feeds additionally these emotions of, you know, um, jealousy and envy, et cetera, um, shame um, and anger. So it's sort of like two tier, we're talking about sort of the being competitive um, is a set of, you know, behaviors and then the competitive environment um, and all together, um, you know, it, it makes for, uh, it's complicated and um, maybe even a longer conversation, but um, you know, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot on a dancer to kind of contend with all of this. Yeah, yeah. And I would say also to echo that, yes, it can, competition and being competitive involves a set of behaviors, right? Including things like comparing one's performance to someone else's or um, to another night of in a show or, um, pushing oneself in a performance in a way to match or supersede another, right? In order to gain some kind of positive reward. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I appreciate that, that distinction that it's an experience mm -hmm. rather than a specific feeling. Um, and I also, and I agree that there's a whole other podcast that we can do here on competition, especially as competition dance is this growing behemoth thing in our community. Um, but another thing that I find particularly challenging about the competition in dance is that it's not always overt, right? So if a student is going to um, a big competition, um, a convention, a competition, and they know they want their studio to win and they want to you know, get a trophy for being the best solo or something, that is over competition. But there's all of this other competition you know, between the dancers inside the studio or inside the corps de ballet and that duality of having to work as a team and be a good team member and then also know that there's this like unspoken vying for position 
seems really challenging to work through. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it would be potentially easier if there were more opportunities for dancers to sort of differentiate from one another. I think about like family dynamics that siblings, you know, sometimes you see that siblings go into entirely different fields. Um, and in order to kind of work with this dilemma, right? Um, and we don't have that, um, that opportunity as much in a dance company or school. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and we, Miriam and I had talked as well that um, in some ways, um, you know, and this is aside from, yes, this whole new field of competitive dance, um, but, you know, sort of our backgrounds in the dance world, um, you know, we, I guess we, we don't necessarily see um, the world as, as, I mean, being this being like a team. Um, I mean, in some ways, when you put productions together, yeah, it feels very collaborative, but additional, just as you were saying, Ellie, it's also very individual. And so um, you're really not playing um, together as much as you're almost playing against each other. I mean, it depends. If you're in the corps de ballet and you're dancing Swan Lake, Yes, it's collaborative. You're dancing together as team members, um, but it can, you know, it can be di different than that as well. Yeah, there's an underlying, um, often unspoken reality, which is that even in the court of ballet, you know, you're hoping to be recognized as having potential for the next level yep. of your career. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And also the competition in dance is usually subjective, right? So that seems to add yet another layer of complication. Um, it's not like she ran faster than me today. It's non-negotiable. It, it is shown on the clock, right? Um, it's usually somebody's opinion who gets the star role or who gets a promotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So that that leads to a whole another conversation, right? About just the way in which dancers um, grow into uh, people who are focusing heavily or hyper vigilant um, around the perceptions of and opinions of the director, the teacher, whoever is in charge of those casting decisions. We see that a lot. Mm -hmm. So now that we've sort of described this in environment, um, what is the dancer to do about it? Uh, how, how do you advise dancers um, to cope with the complexity of, of these competitive feelings? Um, what um, mindsets are sort of evidenced to be more successful? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, some of this is about um, helping the dancer do a better job of reading what is effective in, in a particular moment in a dance company. So like, for example, if you're in the corps de ballet and it's, it's, it's opening night for Swan Lake, a feeling of kind of communality and um, achievement as a group might be, might be the focus, right? And, and kind of having the dancer identify, yeah, this is how I should be in this moment to be effective, right? I can be, whereas if I'm in class and the casting director, you know, uh, or, or the, the, the director is there casting with a choreographer, that might be a moment for the individual dancer to say, okay, I really just need to kind of put my blinders on and do the very 
best I can here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I think speaks to how, I mean, there is just a lot of unpredictability and uncertainty um, such that um, it can be very hard for dancers to sort of identify and control and predict what might be going on. Um, but to Miriam's point, yes, very different kind of whether it's, you know, opening night at Swan Lake or being in class and having that kind of environment. Well, and this, I think, goes back to what you said earlier about how if we don't identify um, and validate the emotions that we're having, we lose that emotional compass and our judgment is not as strong, right? So um, if, as you've said, competition involves a myriad of different emotions like anger and compare it, you know, or, or phenomenons like wanting to compare yourself to others. Um, if you're just sort of like repressing that and not allowing yourself to feel those things, then it seems like it would be harder to do what you've just described and decide, you know, what is the best mindset for this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've had experiences working with dancers where they kind of they could have tricked themselves into believing that you know they should be fully um, communal, and then yet on the back end they're feeling really disappointed with how things turned out, right? Um, and 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 you can understand why a dancer would go there, right? I mean, it's a I think a pro-social value to be really communal and work as a team. Right. But it's also not recognizing the full picture of the environment, right? The reality of that environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that resonates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, betraying themselves and the things that they really wanted to get, right? Um, so it's sort of how we'll get to this later, but how can one balance being really pro social and also? doing the best job they can, right? Achieving to their potential, mm-hmm. which we'll get to we go along here. Yeah, that is, that is definitely something to get to and something similar that's been on my mind, actually even just since speaking to some students this week is like um, being pro-social and yeah, I keep coming back to this feeling of authenticity, like being true to how you're feeling, um, but also, yeah, being pro-social. Kate sort of touched on it and mm-hmm wanted to highlight it is this this idea of unpredictability and uncertainty um, that has to do with this environment where the subjective opinions of somebody is really um, making the final decision of about this future of a dancer's casting or career all that right not the only factor other things like injuries and this and that right can can be at play too but um, that dancers um, observationally, Kate and I have seen um, dancers in our practices um, find ways independent psychology, right? Independent of the psychology research and kind of what um, sort of mal- what we call maladaptive coping strategies to deal with um, feelings of uncertainty and unpredictability, right? Ways to control, ways to ha- generate a sense of control and predictability where there might actually not be. Mm-hmm. So, um, and in that we, I, I'm speaking for you too, Kate here, but um, this way in which dancers can fall into efforts to over control things, right? So um, 
we get into sort of these sort of ritualistic behaviors. Like I have to, um, I have to warm up for my, my hour before class. I have to do X, Y, Z exercises in this particular order. Um, and during the class, I have to stand in this corner of the room so that, you know, the director, the teacher can see me at this angle doing this combination, right? So it gets the level of attention to kind of detail and minutia. Um, and there's a, a this superstitious quality can develop from that too, um, which, um, which just kind of illustrates just how much preoccupation happens for um, some dancers throughout their training and career. And additionally, um, this can also happen in the context of um, hyper-focusing on weight. Um, that too is something that, um, you know, if you feel that you have so little control, that perhaps if you focus on you know, losing some weight, that somehow that will have, you know, help you, um, you know, feel more in control and understand kind of again, or try to make sense of what you think your director is thinking about you, which they may or may not be sort of then can set the stage um, potentially for the development of an eating disorder. So um, these are both kind of, again, maladaptive uh, ways that dancers can kind of, are, are sort of contending with um, how hard it is to not really know what's going on. So they can develop these sorts of behaviors, both OCD-like and eating disorders. What are the adaptive or the positive coping strategies for dealing with uncertainty? That's a very good question. So I think part of it is just recognizing that there is uncertainty and learning to kind of turn one's mind to recognizing this is a reality in this career, reality in life, right? Things are changing all the time, right? Um, and many factors are at play, right? Um, and then, um, differentiating between what is something that truly is in the dancer's sort of zone of control or what we say in psychology, locus of control versus things that are in not external to what the dancer can control, right? Um, and really accepting the things that one can't control, right? This is sounding a little bit like AA, <laughs> right? And then also really focusing on attending with care to the things that are in their control. Mm -hmm. And those things that are within their control are, are more along the lines of like, I want to feel that I did my best today, or um, I want to, what, what would be other examples of um, self-locus of control? I did my physical therapy exercises um, according to doctors um, have suggested, right? That kind of thing. As opposed to what I did in comparison to somebody else, right? It's really focusing on just you um, rather than what others are. I mean, which will lead us into what we'll talk about later around jealousy and all of that, but it's very much focusing on yourself rather than com competing and comparing yourself to others. And also focusing on one's intention. Like I did my best to pay, pay attention or do this, particular movement with the specific intention that is, you know, um, required for this movement, right? Um, rather than only judging oneself by the outcomes, 
right? Like, okay, I did follow X, Y, Z instructions of the teacher to make this turn and it didn't work, right? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of getting, getting more scientific about it, right? Like what can I now shift to try to change it, right? A little more playful, a little more scientific mm-hmm. about the things that are in our control. Yeah, rather than I did a triple or I didn't, period, right? It's really trying to understand those pieces more, the nuances. Yeah. I'm a bad turner. Like, right. Yeah. And really just try to describe what actually happened play by play. Mm -hmm. Qualitative and process oriented, maybe? Yeah, -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That maps on. to psychology research, um, you know, we had thought about like, how do you kind of compete in a way that's sort of healthy? It's like, adopt. this is part of this is like adopting what they call in psychology, like uh, a, a growth mindset, right? Versus a fixed mindset. I know that now is being taught in schools and, you know, but that idea of like, okay, something didn't go well. What, how could I in the next iteration have a good differently rather than, okay, yeah, I'm just bad at that. I'm just not a good jumper. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were touching on this idea of uh, coming back to the self, focusing on the things that you p- can personally control. Um, and you mentioned, Kate, the idea of not comparing yourself to others in that effort. So um, I think we can segue right into talking about jealousy here. Um, jealousy is an like so many emotions, I think it's something we can all say, oh yeah, I have felt that at times, but if asked to really define it, it's difficult, right? Um, And so how, and I I really don't see a lot of discussion in in the dance science world about jealousy. So um, can you start by just helping us to understand what jealousy is? You know, there really, there isn't, a lot of literature, particularly with respect to jealousy in the, in the dance world, likely due to the fact that I think um, it's so under, it's, people don't even talk about it or even recognize um, that it, it plays such a huge role or a large role. Um, so that said, in terms of understanding what jealousy is, um, it, it's, it's somewhat complicated. It, really a single emotion um, or a single behavior. It's really more complex than that um, and involves really a constellation of negatively balanced emotions, um, which can include anger, shame, disappointment, resentment, um, sort of the the fear of something being taken away from you, helplessness, disgust. So it's... um, there are many sort of parts to it. Um, and in terms of kind of how one thinks or you know, the, the cognitions around jealousy, um, it's, it's very much related to this sort of threat of losing something that is of value to you. Um, so it's, it's somewhat, you know, as we're exploring this, we realize that there's, um, you know, there's a fair bit to it. So Miriam, I think, well, you can go from here around, you know, getting into that a little bit more. 
Yeah. Well, in, in the psychology literature, there's a distinction made between reactive jealousy and suspicious jealousy. So the differences are this reactive jealousy is, um, is a reaction to a, a true transgression that has happened or uh, a true taking away of something, <laughs> removal of something that um, somebody wants. So an example for dance would be like, a dancer um, having a leading part taken away from them at the last minute, right? Would cue like a reactive jealousy perhaps towards the dancer who replaced <laughs> who replaced um, her or him, right? Um, so it's it's cued by something in, in the relationship or in the environment, right? Um, and characterized a bit more by things like anger, fear and sadness. Whereas suspicious jealousy involves a little bit more of this, there may be environmental cues that are kind of smaller or like not specific, like maybe a rehearsal director um, for a dancer is giving a dancer um, who's in the second cast of your part more attention in a particular rehearsal. It, nobody's saying that they're going to replace you in opening night, right? But there's this sort of like cue in the environment that based on a dancer's history, learning history or um, things they've seen, um, kind of patterns that have played out around casting in their company, they might appraise that very sort of small non-specific cue um, as threatening, right? And think like, okay, that dancer is gonna get opening night casting. And then get on this whole ruminative, suspicious track about it, right? Um, then there, so, so that's that suspicious jealousy. And then there's this piece to that, that it, there is often a, a component of that, that really is the individual having feelings of insecurity, right. And can be more active in, in, in dancers who are, have lower self-esteem or more insecure. Um, that being said, um, you know, this dan dancers don't become insecure and have low uh, self-esteem in a vacuum either, right? So these are things that develop over time. And then there, there are um, individuals who are more predispositioned to uh, reacting to threat. Right? Mm -hmm. But in this case, suspicious jealousy has more of the fear, doubting, suspiciousness, insecurity piece, right? Um, and one other piece of this is that it's, Jealousy is sort of distinct from envy, right? Which is more just that there's this pain that one feels at when somebody sees somebody else's good fortune around something that they wish they had had in general in their lives, right? Um, so not that something's actually been taken away or that there's a threat that something will be taken away, but they just see somebody who has something that they don't have and it makes them sad about the fact that they don't have that. Oh, that is such a helpful distinction because, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of dancers feel that, you know, they love their classmates, they respect their, you know, phenomenal skills and are simultaneously, you know, really envious of those skills and abilities and that that is different than jealousy. Seems like a very helpful distinction. And just uh, on that, um, which maybe Miriam already said, but just to that, you know, jealousy in the end, again, a thing from envy is really transactional um, because it really involves um, that the threat is typically related to another person, another situation. So versus envy, which is really not transactional in that way. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And I thought it was interesting in the example that you chose, Miriam, about, you know, getting attention during a certain rehearsal, because in some ways um, I can also see that as a reactive jealousy because attention is at a premium in a dance environment. Usually, you know, a teacher has a limited amount of attention that they can distribute and it often is disproportionate to the effort that the students are putting in, right? <laughs> Just by nature, there's like, you know, 20 students working at 110% and there's one teacher working at 110%, you know, and they can only spread their attention around so much. So there is a degree to which like, you know, when one student or dancer is getting a lot of attention in a rehearsal or a class, um, right. it can feel like something was taken away. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think if we think about this a little bit on the continuum, right, like uh, the continuum of a degree of attention, right, um, and like to, at what point does it cue a dancer to be like, hey, this is threatening, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really good point, though. Attention, you're absolutely right that there's a currency. Um, attention is a bit of a currency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, the anger and the suspicion, so talk about um, being pro-social, like there's not much which is pro-social, probably about um, mm -hmm. jealous feelings, is that right? That must manifest in a lot of negative ways in a dancer's, dancer's life. Yes, absolutely. I would say that there are, yes, many downsides <laughs> when one feels jealous um, and behaviorally what that can look like is that sort of one's attention can get very narrowed um, and focused in, in a, you know, negative way um, such that, you know, you, you, you're seeing the worst in others um, and it can create um, a fair bit of mistrust in others um, as the, you know, the jealousy mounts. Um, it causes typically sort of hypervigilance um, to threats to relationships. And it can also cause sort of a, an, a sense of isolation and withdrawal um, that as you get really consumed by the, the feelings of jealousy, um, that can happen as well. So it's really, um, it's uh, pretty intense in terms of its, its impact. Um, and we even, we even know in the, in the injury literature that like social support is integral to injury recovery. So, you know, I can, from my perspective, see how this even has physical outcomes yeah. for the dancer. And again, just think what, you know, sort of as we began that this is so under recognized, so not spoken about, right? So we, so dancers just churn with all of this, right? And no one is sort of talking about, are you feeling jealous <laughs> or something of what happened? I mean, yeah. right? you just with, you know, and basic sort of child, you know, development, we talk to kids about you know, normalize what jealousy is not in the dance world at all. And so, yeah, I think it can have all kinds of really deleterious effects and also probably physiologically as well. I mean, you know, um, right. I mean, I think dancers, I don't know this 
any statistics about this, but I'm sure that dancers struggle with, um, you know, physiological effects as, you know, IBS and various kinds of gut issues that may be related to, you know, the internalization of some of these emotions. Yeah. And the, the ramped up sympathetic nervous system of, you know, feeling threatened and that hypervigilance and stuff and all the mm-hmm. um, physiological stuff of that. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I would go so far as to say it's kind of taboo. I think it's more taboo even than say eating disorders, which generally are considered a challenging thing to talk about. I, f- I feel like, yeah, jealousy is, is a really, um, can be very taboo in our culture. Well, it's also the, this idea of like, what's the ideal kind of dancer and like the kinds of virtues that we expect dancers, particularly female dancers to have, right? Um, and so absolutely it's this, the culture can bring forth this idea of like, okay, jealousy is sort of unattractive. It pushes people away. So like probably not a good feeling to have, just push it down. Uh, don't think about it. Move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the alternative? How, I mean, I mean, it starts, I assume with just acknowledging, oh, I feel jealous, <laughs> right? That's the first step. Um, what are the other things that we can do to manage jealousy or even like as an educator, like what can I do? Like you said, just say, are you feeling jealous? Are there other things that I can do as an educator or that people can do as company directors to create a healthier environment? Like you said, these things don't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, in terms of what the directors can do, I think uh, dancers, mental health is absolutely supported by understanding how decisions are made, right? Because it makes them feel a little bit more in control. It feels, makes them feel respected, communicates like, wow, like um, they believe that I can handle this information, that I can, I can hear this information and work with it rather than communicating like, oh yeah, they don't really deserve to really know why I made this decision. Um, or I think they're like kind of too fragile to be able to hear the truth. Yeah, which also I think is somewhat taboo, right? To be to, ha- I mean, Miriam, you're then implying what that a director would maybe speak, maybe individually to a dancer, and maybe explain why some they didn't get a particular part, and maybe normalize, help them understand yeah. why they made that decision. Um, One thing I would say about that as a caveat is that um, general, you know, I've worked with a lot of dancers and. Um, my personal experience too, but um, that non-specific feedback, it can be actually more damaging than no feedback at all. Um, so the more specific um, a feedback is uh, in terms of like why the decision is being made, um, the more the dancer feels respected in, in the process and can come to some kind of acceptance of um, any kind of loss or disappointment. You know, I, I'm just remembering anecdotally, I, I danced for someone who was really important to me and, and she um, then went on to do a project that I wasn't involved in and it was really hard for me. But she said to me, she said, um, you know, I made this decision. This is why for me, it's not personal. It's not about you and it's not about your dancing, but I understand that for you, it is personal. 
And that was just so therapeutic. I don't, you know, for her to say that to simultaneously, like, you know, acknowledge where she was coming from, like you said, to explain why she made that decision, but also just to recognize how it was affecting me differently was really, really helpful. That's really wonderful to hear that <laughs> that, that happened, right? Absolutely differentiating, differentiating it as a, as a decision that for you might have felt personal, but for her wasn't. Yeah. And I just, you know, I think that that, that was a rare moment. I, you know, I don't think that that, that simple thing happens very often in, in our field. And the other way to, I think, you know, as we're talking about sort of ways that directors can be, can speak to dancers about these things um, that we also, you know, in our practices with dancers work on is how to help them um, develop more effective skills to cope with these emotions. Um, and there are, you know, there are some I could name specifically that might be used, but I mean, that's the other way to go is how to, you know, really um, give dancers the, um, the strategies and skills to help them so that they can manage when, you know, uh, these things, when, they, when they're triggered in these ways with these feelings. I'd, I'd be interested to hear a couple of those if, you, if you're if you up for sharing. Sure. Um, well, one, in a couple in particular, I'll mention that, I don't know, Miriam may mention some others are, there's a concept called opposite action or a skill called opposite action, which essentially, I mean, is what it is, says what it is, which is to basically, um, do the opposite of what those emotions are telling you to do. Um, so in other words, um, you know, if you're feeling those jealous feelings, um, essentially, you know, do the opposite, which is to sort of let go of that feeling that you can have any control of what, what's happening to you. Um, you know, and try to focus on, um, just yeah, ways of, of of sort of disengaging from that emotion. I I don't know if I explained that. Maybe Miriam, you could add to that. Yeah, we exactly. The one thing is that to, to distinguish it between pushing away emotional experiencing, right? That just before a dancer does opposite action, it's very very important to recognize. Wow, I feel hurt. I feel jealous. This is why. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to act opposite because that's the best thing that I can do right now to have this, this moment go well. Um, but again, every relationship is different. So we wouldn't want to anyone to take this and they had to go, okay, this is the prescription that Kate and Miriam are giving to this kind of situation. Um, and just additionally, which uh, I know is, you know, offered up by, you know, a lot these days uh, by therapists and other, you know, mental health professionals, et cetera, are sort of the, the use of mindfulness skills. Um, and an example of one um, in the context of, you know, feeling overwhelmed with these jealous emotions, um, or it's just to sort of pace your breathing and just allow yourself to, I mean, it's very simple, but it's also incredibly active, particularly when you might be feeling threatened. Um, is just to remember to breathe in deeply and breathe out slowly, ease those feelings that have been aroused by, um, you know, feeling this way. 
So um, simple, but incredibly effective. Ellie, you had mentioned earlier, I think we started this conversation um, with this idea of pushing away emotions and like one of the practice. So one of the practices that I do often with dancers is just like, okay, write down a bunch of emotions, like emotion words, right? And then really try to close your eyes and explore. How do you feel this emotion in your body, right? Like, okay, let's take sadness. Like, where do you feel sadness in your body? I feel it in my chest. I feel it in my slow heart rate. I feel heavier, whatever it is, right? I notice I'm frowning and you notice I'm tearing up, right? So the more that one can practice that outside of a studio, right? Um, the more that in, in different moments in the day, one can kind of go, oh, this is what I feel. I feel sadness, right? I feel anger. Should we um, talk a little bit about rejection? Um, I, I was thinking about when you, when you talked about the desire to be pro-social. And um, I remember having this experience when I was auditioning a lot at a certain point in my career. You know, and it like is such a drag to be rejected, even if you didn't even want the job, you still, <laughs> it's like such a drag. And I remember thinking, I, with that pro-social mindset, you know, oh, okay, well, maybe if I, if I really were to just think about this as an opportunity, I'm going to an audition and this is an opportunity to dance and, and to show what I know. And, you know, I, I thought maybe I'm just not framing it right. And that's why it, it feels bad. Maybe if I frame it right, it won't feel so bad. And then um, actually a psychologist in graduate school said, oh, no, there's no way to frame rejection so that it doesn't hurt. That's no. not an option. <laughs> and that was really liberating. Um, and so, you know, all of, there's rejection in life in many different ways, but I think we can agree that certain jobs, certain paths have much more rejection. Um, and I think dance is one of those. So let's, where should we start with talking about rejection? Yeah. Well, I always think like, okay, rejection is, can be an actual thing that happened. Like somebody rejected me and it also can just be a feeling with it. Right? So yeah. I think it's good to kind of, for the dancer to think like, okay, let's check the facts. Have I truly been rejected? Right. Um, have I just not been picked? Right. Which is sort of rejection too, but, um, and kind of to get clear on like, to what degree have I been rejected, right? Um, and and then like if there's any way in which one can get like if if there's been rejection, say by a teacher or something, to kind of reach out and get feedback on what happened, right? To kind of understand a little bit more because I do think dancers sometimes have a feeling of rejection, and um, it may actually not be the case that somebody mm -hmm. rejected them or like you said before, Ellie that there's a way in which it gets personalized um, in this kind of intense way um, that was not intended, right? And on the other hand, I think there are like clear examples of like pure rejection happened in the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that though, um, I think what you're saying, Miriam, in the end, um, <laughs> 
uh, requires, you know, guidance and, and support and education to help a dancer understand how to do that, right? I mean, because what you're talking about, Ellie, is that, you know, yes, you're in these auditions and it's overwhelming and you feel terrible and then you just immediately go to, you know, I've been rejected. But what Miriam, I think, is, is saying that in, in learning some more effective strategies that, you know, you can then do as she had spoke about sort of check the facts is this really have I really been rejected or is it just a feeling or be careful not to sort of overjudge and um right be too harsh and self-punishing all of those things um help to sort of unpack it so that it's not just rejection equals you know I'm terrible I'm hopeless I have a future etc right so it, it really takes some you know psychoeducation is a, a word you know that you know, is really educating around how to manage this and how to unpack it and how to um put it in perspective or, or put it in make it you know put not make it such rejection with a cop capital r you know maybe with a little small r <laughs> just to echo that a little bit um is this like rejection is an experience right it's a combination of emotions like a lot of the things we're talking about today so a dancer becoming more aware of, wow, like I feel sad, I feel disappointed, I'm feeling shame, um, conf I'm confused, right? And then like, and I'm also really angry about it, right? <laughs> like, and even just kind of draw, identifying those emotions can help a dancer. Again, we talk about validation, like self-validation, self-validate. Okay, it makes sense. I feel sad. It makes sense. I feel disappointed. Okay, shame. Ah. Uh, maybe, maybe not, right? Confused. Oh yeah, I'm totally confused, right? Um, can make, can allow that, those feelings, that sort of ball of confusion of emotions, um, kind of untie it. Um, and then there's the awareness of thoughts, right? So um, Ellie, I don't know what your experience is with this, but like those times when we're ejected and we kind of go to, well, what did I do? I must've done something wrong. And then we go into this sort of sort of judging ourselves harshly, right? Like sort of self-punishing, like, oh, why did I do that? I must've done something wrong. If I hadn't done something wrong, I wouldn't have gotten rejected. So it leads into this sort of self-loathing, which is really like an, an sort of illusion that one had control in a certain way over the rejection, right? So, um, and that, you know, just being aware that one is, I notice I'm having thoughts, right, of self-judgment in this moment. The other way that, that a dancer can go is to blame the environment. Like, you know, screw them, right? Like they didn't see me as they should have, right? Um, or, you know, it's because the director didn't, you know, walked out of the room halfway through the audition that I didn't get this part, right? Um, and it's neither of these are necessarily wrong. Um, I think the important thing here is trying to understand what actually happened, what's real, right? Mm -hmm. And then trying to work with that reality, accept that reality. That is really interesting. And there's so, I mean, there's so many steps actually that you just <laughs> described, you know, I mean, there's a lot to that. So there's this idea of like decoupling um, well, you keep, you keep saying, um, find the facts, right? 
so that definitely is like an overarching theme and part of that might be like decoupling this idea of I didn't get chosen is not actually the same as I was rejected right they're like maybe neighbors but they're not they're not actually the same right so, so that's one thing and then just this idea I love this idea of like um picking unpicking it you know and like what are what are the feelings because again that's sort of like back to the things that you can control um and that false sense of control I think is really that that we spoke about earlier you know when the audition is the ultimate uncertainty right so if you have coped with that by believing that wearing your waistband in the right place and standing in the right spot in the room is going to reduce the uncertainty, then mm -hmm. when it goes badly, you feel to blame because you didn't stand in the right place or something when really you just yeah, you control know. what they want. It's like short circuiting. Like, What's happening? <laughs> what I did didn't work. Right, right. Absolutely. And this, this idea of like, okay, rejection involves like something happened in reality that was not what I wanted, right? And I'm having a lot of unwanted emotions about it, right? I'm having a lot of emotions that I wish I didn't have to have, right? The truth is they actually did happen though, right? Like the rejection might, well, if, if you've checked the facts and you know that you truly have been rejected, right? In this case, then, then it's about like, how do I accept that this thing happened, right? I don't have to approve of it. I can think that it was a wrong decision, right? Or the one that I wouldn't have had. But the reality is that was the decision that was made, right? So when we kind of go back to, but it's not fair, right? But it didn't, okay, but like the thing is, is that non, so pain, right? Disappointment plus non-acceptance of pain, right? is this perpetuate suffering. We end up just suffering from it. Mm -hmm. that, that seems like an important equation. <laughs> it's, it's psychology math right there. <laughs> so pain, pain plus not acknowledging pain equals suffering. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you don't, you don't give yourself any opportunity when you acknowledge it, you give yourself the opportunity to get past it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that comes right back to the beginning around how important it is to validate what you're feeling. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, since we've successfully circled back to the beginning, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Um, is there anything you would like to share or add um, as clo closing thoughts? Um, so I, this is a little bit along the lines of our conversation earlier about kind of how to, how to deal with competition in a way that is, um, healthy, healthy, competitive mindsets. Right. Um, and we had talked a little bit about adopting a growth mindset, right. That sort of trial and error, curiosity, non-judgmental way of dealing with things not going well so that we do better on the next iteration. Right. So there's that. But then there's this whole other idea of in dance. Um, this is along the lines also of, I know you had Dr. O'Connor on and he had mentioned the idea of moral injury, right? This concept of moral injury. It's um, 
when we begin to compete to get ahead in ways that uh, go against our values, our personal values, the values of our community, right? And how that increases shame, right? Which is, I mean, shame is so associated with many, many kind of mental illness related things um, and isolation and all that. Um, so the idea here is that one way to uh, prevent this pathway from happening is to really be conscientious of one's values, to clarify one's values. It's not like we walk into the world being like, oh yeah, this is what I value, I know clearly, right? For dancers to, even if it's like journaling, like journal about what is important, what are those core values, right? Um, because when we do that and we think about the dilemmas that we're faced with on a daily basis in company life, you know, in our sort of competitive pre-professional school life, when we're attending to our values, what we can do is say, okay, this situation came up and there's a conflict between this value that I hold and this value. So, I mean, there's really that this idea here of there, there could be a bit of a conflict between rising in the ranks or getting increased casting versus not acting on any kind of urges to do things that are um, damaging um, to how you feel about yourself, basically, right? So there's this idea of if we know our values, we are not going to cross our own values and then we'll respect ourselves more, right? The problem is when we lose our own self-respect in the way we behave, right? Whether it's with another dancer, um, whether it's the way we carry ourselves that kind of in, the, in retrospect in, in a class or something that we feel like, ooh, I'm ashamed of that on a values level, right? Like I, um, I acted out in anger in a way that like, now I'm, I'm I tailed between my legs, right? Um, so journaling around this, these issues can be really helpful for dancers. I have them do it all the time. Yeah, I think dancers actually like journaling in my experience, not all of course, but many of them seem to um, enjoy that process. And so having some really like um, constructive, assignments or prompts with the journaling um, seems like a great idea. So that idea of just like establishing your core values, the things that are most important to you. And again, it's that like will help set your moral compass, your emotional compass, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's really in the end what it's all about. Um, and it's so grounding and can help anyone, dancers in particular, I think, to feel like they have something to hold on to. Because again, in the face of so much uncertainty, that often does, it doesn't feel that way. There's, it can feel so out of control that this is really something that they can, you know, feel um, rooted in. This maps onto this idea of like, um, identity development as well is like we can hold our identity completely eclipse have our, our entire identity be dance and achievement and dance um, but that's you know at the end of the day there's going to be a time when the career is over right and then we're left with nothing right so clarifying our values like who we are as a person what's important to us what's meaningful to us um, in a more holistic way can be extremely protective mm. from a perspective and an identity. 
perspective. Yeah, I was thinking that when you were talking about it, that it, it reminds the dancer that they are more than just their actions in the studio and on the stage, that they are not just um, these, mover, these moving bodies, but that they are whole, complex, um, multi-dimensional people with values and you know, skills and things that are important to them beyond, beyond dance. Well, Miriam and Kate, thank you so much. Um, yet another illuminating episode. Um, I really appreciate your time. I know this is a really um, intense period for you professionally with the pandemic and um, yeah, these issues of uncertainty being all the more present. Um, so thank you so much for taking time to do this. Thank you so much, Ellie. I so appreciate your questions and curiosity around these issues. Pleasure to come back. Yes, thank you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye!